gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome. Hi, how's it going? My name's Brian. Uh, I am the host here at UMFM's wonderful, wonderful comic book show, Beyond the Panel. I am joined, unfortunately, no Curtis today. That being said, we are with the bubbling Braden Hafichuk. Braden, how you doing, dude? I'm doing spectacular. It's been it's been a lovely day. Spectacular, spectacular Spider-Man. Yeah, like that? Yes, sir. Just like that. Wonderful. Um probably so, a third spectacular. Though. Just just a third, not all the way spectacular? Well, like those two and then a third one tacked on. A third one tacked on? Yes, sir. No. How dare you? I'm kidding. That's pretty awesome. We're excited to be here today. Uh it's exam time here at UMFM. So at just the U of M in general, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's been kind of crazy. We missed our last week's episode. That being said, we're glad to be back. Um, Curtis is MIA because he is currently torturing himself with more studying. Um, but we are better. We are faster. We are stronger. We're ready to go. Uh, we can rebuild it. Six million dollar man. I, I, I don't have six million. I have like four bucks right here. The four dollar man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that's pretty That's pretty awesome. Um, not last week, obviously, because we weren't here last week, but uh, two weeks ago, Curtis and I gave our breakdown of the highly anticipated uh, Watchmen follow-up, the Doomsday Clock. Um, you had the brilliant opportunity today to sit down with illustrator of the Doomsday Clock, Brad Anderson. Yes, sir. So we have a half an hour interview that we want to play. That is you talking with Brad, which I'm really excited to hear. Mm-hmm. I haven't had the chance to hear this yet, so I'm going to be listening to the same interview that you guys are at the same time that you are. I'm pretty sure it's pretty good. Uh, I'm going to assume it's good. And I'll, I'll chastise I'll, you if it's not. I'll give it a 7.3 out of 10. A perfect 5 <laughs> out of 7? <seven>. Perfect. <laughs> um, so, but before we get on to that, Brayden, I want to hear your thoughts on the Doomsday Clock. Well, I was extremely hyped for this book. Uh, it probably has one of my favorite creative teams ever on it. It has Jeff Johns writing it. Who's amazing. Gary Frank doing pencils. Who's amazing. And like you said, Brad Anderson doing colors. And they're Who's just amazing. They All three of them are just, they're, they're the top of their game. Uh, Jeff Johns is, um, he's not CCO. Is he, is he CCO of DC at the moment? He's one of those... He's the chief creative op- yeah, uh, operator CCO, yeah. or whatever. But it's like he's he's busy running all of DC Comics. He's helping out the movies and everything. But he still... God, God love him. He still had the time to write this amazing comic where he takes us back to the world of Watchmen. And we get to right. see it. it, it Watchmen kind of ended off on like a... It, 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 ended off, it ended off great. But it was kind of a mix of a happy and a sad, a sad ending where it's like you know... All of the problems they just solved might rear their head again in the future. Correct. And we see them rear their head again, and the world is in a much worse condition than it was at any point in Watchmen. I mean, does this surprise you? Not at all. Not at all. That was kind of... I guess that was the point of the end of Watchmen. Exactly. So, uh, I mean, the Watchmen was amazing. Mm -hmm. The Watchmen was amazing. So, like, all this other stuff is pretty cool, in my opinion. Um, Everything else is just kind of awesome so like what did, you, what did you think of like the what did you think so we have a new we have a new Rorschach mm-hmm. what do you think of that I liked it like uh, one of Jeff Johns's 
one of the things he's really been pushing over the last few years is the return of legacy characters. And you see that with DC Rebirth, like the return of Wally West and the Justice Society of American Legion of Superheroes, just showing that these are worlds populated by families, not necessarily by blood, but by, like, costume. Right. And I like that he's kind of taking that similar approach to the Watchmen universe, because at the end of Watchmen, they're really... Spoiler, spoiler alert? Are we putting a spoiler alert out there? Or is Watchmen... It's been around long enough for us to... Yeah. 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 There really are no superheroes left at the end of Watchmen. Like, you have you have uh, Night Owl and Silk Spectre, but that's about it. And we're also introduced to other aspects of their world as well, like other criminals, like other supervillains and that who make their appearances in the jails. So right. I like how we're showing that this world is still active. It's both active, like, politically and socially, but the superhero and supervillain scene isn't dead. Like, people are still rising and... I I like it. I like the new Rorschach. I I'm interested to see because um, Osmond Deus says that the old Rorschach, quote unquote, had principles and limits, mm-hmm. and that he stuck by them, and that this new guy isn't the same. Yeah. So I'm curious to see where they go with that because, like, the new Rorschach seemed very measured, very composed, mm-hmm. very composed, both very composed, but also really out there because he's going like yeah i don't even know what day it is anymore i it, it, and his watch yeah. he doesn't three hours and 59 maybe minutes yeah he sleeps out of his car and everything it's just like he's super he's he is the middle ground between ozymandias and rorschach where he tries to do the principles yeah. of rorschach but is willing to do the horrible things and like bend his rules like ozymandias so that's how you pronounce it ozymandias ozymandias oh so, I'm interested to see how that goes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to be good. Do you have any theories on who the Rorschach is? I don't think it's anybody we're going to know. Yeah. No, like, th- there were a couple of people who speculated that it was the kid who was reading the comics in Watchmen and that, but it's like he got he got wiped out in the explosion. Correct. And I don't remember a lot of Africa. Like, I don't, there, there, were, there weren't any other, like... Uh, so, Curtis had, to, Curtis had to tell me that he was African-American because, like... You, I, did, you didn't tell that by, like, the panel? No, I so okay. So my my in my defense, the lighting and like the way that they drew the lighting in that was really gritty and dark. Mm-hmm. So I just figured it was like shadows. That's fair. You know, like he he peeled back, and I was like, I, I didn't get it at first. I was talking about it with him. I'm like, so how the hell does he? How the heck do they know that it's not the same Rorschach? Other than like, you know, mm-hmm. and how does he prove that he's not the same Rorschach? And he and he, and he shows his skin. And he just I'm like I didn't see any tattoos or anything. And he's like, no, it's because he's not even the same like color of skin. And I was like. How, how did you figure? Oh, okay. So I just I just mistook the uh, the lighting on it. Yeah, no, like I thought that was a neat thing. Uh, I don't think, yeah, like like you, I don't think it's going to be anybody we've met. I don't think it matters. Yeah. So I mean, like I don't actually think. So they can't. I don't think they can reveal who it is because, like, in Watchmen, like you saw this person. This dude out in the middle of nowhere, like, on all these things with the sign, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And that dude turned out to be Rorschach. Yeah. So that was cool because it was, like, post- posting him in all these different places. But now that they've shown him to have, like, be of not, like, it, to be of colored skin, it's going to be really obvious if they do that plant. Yeah. So they can't. And if they reveal him and he's not, like, he's just some dude, then it's just some dude. I think it'll work. It's just they'll probably. They, I can see it working if they do reveal the identity, where it's just like, oh, I was just, I was this guy who interacted with Rorschach in the past. Like if they if they go deep into it, where they show he did have an interaction with Rorschach and that did shape his whole yeah. outlook on the world. I can see that working. Maybe, but yeah, no. Like I'm, I'm pretty excited for it. I yeah, 
It's going to be good. All um, of the all of the art by Gary Frank is fantabulous. By the way, I have to thank you. Uh, Curtis got his copy, and I came in to school one day, and there was a copy waiting for me in the inbox. Oh, God. Oh, God. That was actually Curtis's copy. Was it? <laughs> he got a copy already, though. Oh, okay. I told him I was going to buy him a signed copy, but if you got it, that's great. I, so I owe you some money. No worries about it. Because he, he got a signed copy. Was he there? I thought he was. He said he wasn't going to make it. He got a signed copy. It showed up on his Instagram. Curtis, you liar. I don't know if he made it or not made it, but like it showed up. He showed it showed up on the dude's Instagram where he's like, "Hey, check out this really awesome thing that I got." Blah blah blah. And I was like, "Oh, cool." And then so like when I came in to school and saw there was one in there, I was like, "Oh, this can't possibly be Curtis's copy," because, um, yeah. See. Look, that's he's oh, got one, Curtis. Unless you sent him this picture, no, because his his autograph's in a different spot than mine is. So, well, you know what? I was actually uh, I bought that copy for you, so good. you're you're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. totally. I owe you some money. No, no worries, man. Um, so let's let's get into this then. Uh, we're 15 minutes into the episode. We might as well just get into the interview. I'm really excited to hear it. Uh, this is uh, Braden's interview with uh, Brad Anderson. So uh, let's get the show on the road. Okay. So thank thank you again for doing this interview, Brad. Oh yeah, no problem. All right. So um, you grew up in Winnipeg, correct? Uh, I grew up in Kenora. Oh, Kenora, actually, awesome. Yeah. All right. So um, so I'm gonna start this off just by uh, talking about like your past, just your first experiences with comics and getting into the industry. Oh, okay. So as a as a kid growing up in Kenora, what was uh, your first experience with comics, and when did you realize you wanted to be a comic book artist? Oh man. Um well I've always uh been artistic. Um no matter what I did, even in school, uh, high school, everything else, I was always doodling on desks and notebooks and everything else. And um I used to uh I was a huge fan of the comic book art, like the old Conan books and uh um when I got a bit older, I used to get my hands on some heavy metals magazines, mm-hmm. and just the artwork was just amazing. So I would um, kind of draw out of those and uh, learn how to draw feet and hands and stuff like that. And I used to do it all the time. Um, and then I think right out of high school, I started working at the paper mill in Kenora. And um, same thing there, I was drawing on every every piece of paper I can get my hands on and, and uh, huge pieces of wrap and stuff like that, and I would be doodling on. Uh, and then I set up a portfolio and sent it into the Joe Kubert School. Mm-hmm. Um, and then did an interview. I couldn't go down for an interview, so I'd do like over the phone. So I basically mailed them a huge package of uh, um, samples and ink samples and everything else. And then they would go through it piece by piece, and we'd discuss all the stuff I sent them. Was that all, like, uh, your own created characters or already established characters? Uh, it was all it was established stuff. Um, you know, I did some Batman images, and it, was, it wasn't very good. Um, now that I look back, it was pretty, <laughs> pretty crappy, but, you know, I wasn't really taught anything. I was just, you know, basically learning on my own before that, so. Right. Did you have any, um, I know you're mentioning Conan there, did you have any particular artists who were inspirations for you? Oh, gee, I don't know, actually. At the time, it was, um, oh, man. Yeah, there was tons of guys. Uh, oh, I 
don't even know. There was just a variety. I used to look at like some of Kubert's stuff and uh, just a lot of the old guys, I guess. You know, nothing, no one in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just more of anatomy stuff. I really wanted to get to knock out some of the anatomy and whoever, you know, had a wicked cover at the time or um, drew a lot of uh, off shirt people and that's kind of who I would gravitate to. Just the rippling abs and everything? Just Yeah, like, I mean, why not? Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, most people breaking into the comic industry today seem to be going the indie path, where rather than going to schools and that, they kind of self-publish books on their own or use Image Comics as a platform for that. Would you yeah. say, like, um, how would you say that compares to the going to the Kubert School way? Uh, well, the Kubert School, like, well, for me, it was um, your you're almost forced and you're learning by pros that are working in Mm -hmm. the industry and um which is huge because they tell you how it is and um that's all you did from morning till night you just drew or you had assignments and they really push deadlines on you yeah um i guess creator own stuff like i never really had my own uh story or anything that i wanted to like i wanted to um, work on mainstream comics. Like, I wanted to work on Batman and Spider-Man and the Hulk and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, I've never really been attracted to the um, creator-owned stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if I had a wicked idea and I really wanted to push it, then, you know, it'd be different. There's a lot of guys that wanted to do that when I was in school, too. And then initially, you get exposed to animation and lettering and inking, and and you're getting taught by you know, guys that have been doing it for years. And, um, yeah, it really opens your eyes to, like, there's so many different areas. I And then the, my, I think my end of my first year, I wanted to become a storyboard artist mm-hmm. for movies initially. Um, but, uh, yeah, I never really got into it. One of my buddies that went to school there, um, he was from Saskatchewan. Um, I met him at the school, and he's a director for American Dad now. Wow. And he just went into animation and... Yeah, and he, he lives in L.A., and he, that's what he does right now. I, I had no idea the Kubert School had such a variety. I thought it was mostly focused on comic book, but you got you got a pretty well-rounded art education there, right? Well, it's based on commercial art. Mm-hmm. Like, if you wanted to be an artist for magazines, it, it shows you how to do it. And, yeah, it's, uh, it basically teaches you how to make a living um, doing art. So, And there are, sometimes they're brutally honest, too, you know? <laughs> so... But yeah, it's, it was a lot of fun. Nice. And then I got to, I won a scholarship my second year, and then I ended up working my third year um, just outside the school, like uh, in Winnipeg here. So mm-hmm. I've, been, I've been doing it ever since, and that was 96, I think. Was that commercial art, that job you got? Or or with, uh, was that more, more comic book art based? or? Um, well, no, it was with a place called Digital Chameleon. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I started, I came back from school my after my second year and I worked for the summer at the paper mill and then uh, they offered me a job there and uh, I started painting comics there and at the time that pretty much everything came out of Winnipeg like it was I had a shop that colored comics for you know it was a 24 hour shift it was three eight hour shifts and they ran nonstop. oh man yeah it was pretty neat everything came out of here like um, X-Men and you name it Penthouse Comics, everything was done out of Winnipeg. 
quite yeah, at the time. Quite the range you got there. So yeah. <laughs> so um, moving from past to present, uh, I'd like to ask you about your day to day life as a colorist. Would you be able to describe to our listeners briefly um, the process of comic book art and what all happens between the written script and yourself? Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm actually working right now. I'm doing. Uh, it's like the back matters for um, you know those black and white ads in the back of the um, doomsday clock stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm working on one right now. They need a kind of ASAP for lettering. Um, so I'm kind of working as I'm talking to you <laughs> a little bit. But uh, yeah, so a lot of it's like there's a huge team behind it. Um, like with this doomsday clock, um, Jeff and Gary talk all the time. Jeff's literally talks to Gary Frank daily, almost, you know, per panel, what he wants and this and that. And they, they have a really good relationship. And then Jeff will phone me. Um, initially, we'll discuss the overall look and feel. Um, and I usually have a good rapport with artists. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I'll talk to them directly throughout stuff. I just finished that 40-page Swamp Thing thing with um, Jason Fabic. Oh, yeah. Um and we talk all the time, and, you know, he's particular with the kind of stuff he wants, and um, I'll throw ideas back and forth. Um, so from there, I just kind of wait for artwork, and then they send me the line work, and uh, I get it flatted. And then from there, I can just start rendering up. Lovely. Uh, what yeah. does uh, flatted mean, sorry? Oh, it's basically, well, if you have an image of, say, Superman, um so I work in Photoshop, so if I just want to render his face, I don't have to go and select around his face. I hire a company that actually separates his face from his shirt, from his uh, S logo, and they just dump whatever color, but I could just magic select each each color separately. Mm-hmm. Um, it just saves a lot of time where I don't have to actually trace out each element on the page. So I'll pay a company to do that for me, and then um, when I get them, it's just a rainbow of different colors, but at least there are all the elements on the page is separate for me. What uh, What's the turnaround time on getting a, a page flattened for yourself by the company? Uh, they usually do it overnight for me. Oh, wow. Yeah, they're pretty good. They have a huge, like it's a, a basically a flatting factory. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so they go, they'll run all night and... And I usually maybe get four to five pages daily done for me. And then, uh, yeah, I pay them every month, and it works so good. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to keep up to some of the deadlines or do as much work as I as I do now. Yeah. If And almost every colorist that I know of, you know, uses a flatter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless I'm painting something right from scratch, then I could just go in and paint it up myself or whatever, but... Do you find yourself doing that a lot, painting it from scratch, or just on the occasional project? Um, no, the occasional stuff, depending. It's all, like, time-sensitive. My life is basically a deadline. Mm-hmm. So uh, for, like, these back matters, they're called for the um, doomsday clock. Um, like, I'm, I'm doing them in black and white, so I just kind of render them up over top of the line work as I get them, So, which is what I'm doing right now. So, um, yeah, and that's just basically a tonal image. So I don't really need stuff separated. I can just kind of do it on my own pretty quickly. Okay. Yeah. But you get some, like I did the um, um, Justice League uh, with Fernando. Mm-hmm. 
and his stuff was crazy. There's so many things, so many elements, a lot of tech, a um, lot of characters. But he would take me a full day to do one page if I didn't have it flat at first. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it saves a lot of time. Yeah. So I mean, it costs me to do it, but in the long run, it's... Oh, it's worth oh, it? it's worth it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Nice. So, um, just looking at your vast bibliography for DC Comics alone, <laughs> I, I can see you've worked on everything from A-list solo titles such as Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman to anthologies like Batman Black and White and even limited series like Legion Lost. Is there a specific issue or series you are most proud of working on? Um, wow, that's a good one. Um, geez, I don't know. I think the one of my well the coolest one was I did the uh, Before Watchmen with Andy Kubert and Joe Kubert. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Just because Joe, um, he's not around anymore, so yeah. I, that was a real treat. And he actually sent me there was one of the fold out posters of Night Owl sitting on the rooftop that I did, and uh, Joe actually signed uh, signed one for me and sent it to me. And that's the only one. Andy said that's the only one that he's ever signed. Oh. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. But there was, um, yeah, Wonder Woman series with Dave Finch was pretty cool. I, I liked his art. Oh, there's so many. Uh, Batman Earth One stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, gee, I don't know. Yeah, lots. Well, did Just a short, quick question. Did Andy Kubert also teach you at the Kubert School, or was he um, like a, another, a different instructor as well? Uh, he he instructed, um, oh, I don't know if he instructed actually when I was there. He was working on X-Men at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, Jesse Delperdang was a third-year student there. And he he started inking X-Men right in class, like during school. And then he ended up living us with us for a few months. Oh, sweet. In between uh, his apartments. And so I got to learn a few tricks from him, and he was just amazing. And then I got to know Andy personally. Um, you go hang out in the studio, and um, yeah, it was pretty cool. You get to see some of the original art stuff that they're working on and that kind of thing. So, yeah, it was really inspiring. And then I had a, a chance to sit with um, Joe he, when he did Facts from Sarajevo. Uh, just came out, so I got a copy, and I wanted him to sign it. So I knocked on his door and going to his office and he has a huge drawing table and it's just cluttered with oh, just wicked stuff and uh, a big kind of conference table. So we sat there and we talked about comics and, you know, future and that kind of stuff when he signed the book for me. And it was just like I walked out of there just with goosebumps because I was just so excited to get back on the drawing board and everything else. But, um, yeah, it was, it was very in- in- inspiring. Lovely. So um, just going back to the uh, bibliography there, uh, I understand that, di- like, do you have to do a different approach for each character in their world? Like, how, how different would you say the coloring job is between doing Superman and Metropolis to Batman and Gotham? Well, Superman and Batman are pretty easy just as far as their location, right? Mm-hmm. And Gotham's pretty dirty, and I can get away with doing a lot of uh, textures and that kind of thing. Uh, Superman stuff, I really like to keep uh, dates, almost always daytime, uh, you know. Um, But rendering and that kind of thing, I don't know if it's a bad thing, but I always try to um, 
almost not well kind of change my style similar palette throughout whatever whatever i do but um always change my style just to match the artist mm-hmm. kind of thing so when i'm rendering like um um gee i don't know like gary frank stuff um compared to uh like zach howard for instance for someone like really hard edge cartoony stuff mm-hmm. um i'll render it slightly different i'll keep the colors pretty much the same but um like i did a series with peter woods legion lost that stuff um and he wanted specifically hard edge um cut film kind of look to it and um yeah i mean it's it's faster i don't have to go in and render and blend and that kind of thing um yeah but it takes a little bit of after the first few pages once i get into a groove then it's then it's not an issue I did do the similar thing with um, Teen Titans Earth 1, too. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah so, I was with um, Terry Dodson did that one. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so that was actually a really cool project. He started a couple pages, and then he couldn't do it. So they asked if I could do it, and I was like, uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, yeah, that that took a long time to do. But. Was Teen Titans, like, one of your one of the other dream books you were hoping to work on someday? Or? Um... No, not so much. Um, like, for me, personally, it's about working with certain artists mm-hmm. um, more than the stories, I think. Um, like, I worked, I used to be a huge um, Lee Weeks fan. Well, still am. Yeah. But when I was in school, I got a chance to make photocopies of his, uh, I think it was his Predator stuff that he was doing, and that's like 20 years ago. But it was just seeing the full-size black and white pages, they were just amazing. So I think Andy had a, a set of them, a set of copies, so I copied those. I still have them here, but they're just incredible to look at as far as um, his technique and his storytelling and his narrative art. It's just incredible how he puts his solid blocks on the page. So I had a chance to work with him, um, I think it was on... Was it uh, Lewis and Clark? And I initially did a cover for him, and he's pretty particular about his stuff, and he likes kind of hard edge, a little bit muted color. Mm-hmm. So I did a cover for him. I can't remember what it was, and he just loved it. So maybe a month later, I got a, a call asking if I could work on the Lewis and Clark series with him, and uh, I was like, yes, for sure. I, I couldn't wait to to work with Lee. Oh man, that Lewis and Clark series was just gorgeous. Like, yeah, that one of my fa- one of my. Probably my favorite thing to come out of Convergence, that series, just Dan Jurgens, Lee Weeks, and you, of course, just top-notch talent in there. Yeah, and some of the covers that Lee was doing, it was just like, wow, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> so, and I, I have a tendency to almost over-render sometimes when I see a big open open area, mm-hmm. and so I had to go down and dummy down some of the stuff. I sent it to him, and he's like, yeah, maybe just take a little bit off. I'm like, okay, sorry, you know, I just, I was so excited to work on it, and I, I didn't want to just leave it. So, uh, but he's he's the type of artist where if you could do it in two lines, then just use two lines. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he knows where to put those two lines, right? So, yeah, yeah. great guy though. So we we managed to meet at Galaxy Comics a few weeks back for a signing, and we did have that conversation about uh, the difference between Gary Frank and Jason Fabok. Yep. Would you just be able to describe to the audience like the different approaches you need to do for Gary Frank, Jason Fabok, or even David Finch? Yeah, well, see, Finch, Finch, and 
um, Frank, uh, their inking is a little bit similar because they do a lot of the, the hatch work. Um, so they add a lot of gray tone in. Um, some of uh, Fabric's lines and some of his faces, he puts in these heavy solid blocks. And um, I use a little bit more of a hard edge to it because mm-hmm. he puts a lot into his faces too. And then Gary... Um, yeah, he's he keeps it really realistic. So I don't I don't like adding too much rendering to Gary stuff because if I if I start rendering something and then I change the shape of the nose or it might it might affect um, the way that he designed the character. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, I don't want to change a character's look too much. Right. Um, yeah, and and like Jason Fabic, he's kind of like a like a Jim Lee almost where he's super mainstream looking, you know, big abs, you know, big arms, shoulders, like very superhero. Um, so I kind of I keep that in mind when I'm going to render his stuff, you know, like I'll emphasize some of that, uh, this, the superhero aspect of it, a little bit brighter color in spots, you know, harsh lighting on the faces. Um, Whereas Gary Franks, I can go a little more realistic with it, mm-hmm. softer rendering on clothing and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it just it all depends what it is too. You know, covers um, they have a tendency to spend a lot more time on. Mm-hmm. Interiors deadlines are pretty tight, so I'm trying to get this issue number three for Doomsday out this Friday. Oh man, I got a lot of questions. All right. I have some questions for you for Doomsday Clock. I know you may be not be able to answer all of them, but I look okay. forward to asking them in a few minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, next couple of questions I just wanted to ask about kind of the state of the industry in general and the position of, like, colors, colorers and inkers and letterers in them. Um, a few years ago at a Marvel summit, Axel Alonso made the statement that artists really don't sell books. And he got a lot of flack for that. And you kind of see the opposite approach to that at DC where... From what I hear, Jeff Johns and Scott Snyder, they're kind of leading the way in kind of getting more recognition for inkers and colorists and letterers. Do you, yeah. s- in, in your years in the industry, have you seen kind of an evolution into how those positions are represented or seen by the public? Um, yeah, I think um, colorists have come a long way um, from when I started. I started doing it... Um, there used to only be a couple guys that um, Hollingsworth and guys like that would kind of do kind of watercolor paper guides, and they would send them to separators. And um, when I started, I was using markers, and we'd have photocopies of the entire book shrunk down, and we would color these pages with markers, and then we'd write down the color numbers. If we wanted a flush tone, a certain color, we'd write down the actual uh, color code for it. Mm-hmm. And then we'd hand that off and go to a uh, group of separators, and they would transfer that into a computer file. And then now that Photoshop and the computers have gotten so fast and, um, you know, Cintiqs and tablets and pen tools are really, have come a long way that you can do a lot now um, just on your own, like start to finish. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of artists that are kind of doing that now. Like even, like Terry Dodson does all his own color um, but uh like Jeff Johns is a real like he's a real comic fan too and he he always says um it's it's a team effort 
we're all part of the same team. We just have different jobs to do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I've always, I don't know, I've never had an issue with, uh, my editors have always, if I can keep my editors happy and the artists I'm working with happy, that's basically all I ever cared about. Um, just because I wanted to stay working, right? So Right, right. And then, um, yeah, and then you just start, I guess, getting good projects and that kind of thing. So if you're reliable and you make your editors happy, then they'll make your life happy too. So Yeah, like I only ask because in Dark Knight's Metal, like the big events out of DC right now, yeah, they have that opening page where it's just everybody involved in the project is listed off like yeah. every, even from the editorial to the art department everybody is recognized so yeah yeah that's pretty cool mm-hmm. yeah i like that yeah good to hear um so now i'm just gonna finish off this discussion by asking about your upcoming project so doomsday clock um would you be able to just tell the audience how you got involved with this mega bold project coming out of dc <clears throat> yeah um well jeff was in um, London, I guess, when they were filming Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. and um, I guess he was doing some rewrites last minute on the script for the movie, and um, I guess uh, he had this idea, and he wanted a piece. He says, the only way I'm going to do it is if he, if Gary Frank illustrates it. So um, before he even pitches it to DC or Warner Brothers, he's talking ran it by Gary Frank, and Gary's like, yes, I'm in. Uh, it sounds awesome. Let's do it. And Gary and Gary's like, hey, well, the only way I'm doing it is if Brad's going to color it. And uh, so Gary or uh, Jeff phoned me up, and he said, yeah, would you be interested in doing this? And it's like basically the continuation of The Watchmen, mm-hmm. basically, right? Or, you know, a different take and that kind of thing. So he told me the whole story, and I... I'm on the phone with him, and my jaw was literally on my desk, and I'm listening to this, and I'm like, uh, yeah, I totally want to be part of this. And then uh, we talked for a while, and then I hung up, and I'm like, oh, crap, like, now what am I going to do? Like, I started freaking out because it's, you know, the Watchmen characters, and, yeah, it's, it was pretty uh, it's pretty amazing. But, I mean, knowing the story and knowing um, that Jeff is kind of steering the ship, mm-hmm. um yeah, it's going to be awesome. You guys will love it. Lovely. Do you yeah. um you you said you were working on the before Watchmen series as well? Do you feel working on that uh, series of books has kind of helped you prepare for this one as far as uh, re-entering the world of Alan Moore and David Gibbons? Well, not necessarily. Just because um, that one, you, we we could do pretty much whatever we wanted. It didn't have to be a certain look. I mean, the characters had to have the same kind of color scheme, but. Um, this stuff is, you're in the Watchmen universe, and then you're in the DC universe, and it's there's kind of a jump, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you're really particular of um, the look. Like, I, I, I've i had this the Watchmen uh, trade paperback with me for months now, just trying to get the feel of it. Mm-hmm. So I want I want to make sure that, you know, when you're reading the parts that, or in the Watchmen universe, you know you're in that universe, right? So, right. Without going too garish and and uh, 80s as as Higgins did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, lovely. And um, is there is there anything you can kind of give us hints for? Because you were saying your jaw was dropping when you were being told the script. Is there any little crumbs you can give us? <laughs> yeah. um, 
No, I can't. Ah, okay. No, it's just too much. Uh, it's just there's little things that that are huge, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't know if that makes any sense, but yeah, it's just. Uh, well, I mean, if you even see in the first issue, right? Right. How to Rorschach is like, or kind of. Mm-hmm. Well, it's but, like as, as soon as we finish that uh, first book, like my friends are just going, "What? What is this? What's going on here?" Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. There's lots. There'll be lots of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, just wait. Like, I guess even end of issue two, um, you'll be doing the same thing. Oh. Like, what the heck is happening? Oh my! I'm 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 just getting ready now. I'm just hyping myself up for it. But the, the the nice thing is that Jeff isn't just implementing uh, Watchmen characters into the DC universe. Like, mm-hmm. there's a there's a whole reasoning and everything else. So, yeah, awesome. And um, you were mentioning earlier, right now you're working on the Swamp Thing book with uh, Tom King and Jason Fabok? Yeah, I just finished it, actually. It's just a winter special. Uh, and, oh, okay, so it's a one-shot, because when yeah. you, you mentioned 40 pages earlier, I was like, is the first issue alone just 40 pages? No, it's just a one-shot, um, yeah, just a one-shot story. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to take it, and I was trying to make sure I had enough room in between issue two and three of Doomsday so I could fit it in, mm-hmm. and... Um, so I got that done, and then I'll be doing uh, the challengers with um, um, Andy Kubert and Klaus Jensen's inking it. Nice. So that'll be should be coming up. Geez, I don't know. I think after um, maybe next month I'll be starting that. But um, yeah, it's been pretty busy. Beauty. Now, just as uh, one final question, for any of our fans out there who are interested in getting involved with like the the comic book industry, specifically becoming colorists, do you have any advice for any of our listeners? Wow. Um, my advice would be to look at um, a, lots of different styles. Because mm-hmm. um, as you work on different artists um, you're going to need to be kind of versatile and I always look at um, like old traditional painters you know Maxfield Parrish who does this crazy clouds and, and skies and stuff like that J.C. Leindecker he's the greatest like he's my favorite painter of all time mm-hmm. and he was was basically um he was ahead of his time. He's back in the thirties. Um, like that's who Norman Rockwell would look at. Oh wow! Like, yeah, like it's he's pretty amazing. But it, but and he was it's just you know oil paint and acrylic paint. But he would use it with such a hard stroke, super glossy skin and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just try to mimic whatever he does. <laughs> if anyone <laughs> wants to get into coloring, <laughs> just look at their stuff. Look at the old masters and and I look at a lot of concept art. And uh, I'll buy books on, oh, man, I bought a book on, um, oh, like old Disney-type things. Um, you know, like, this, let's say the Prince of Egypt. Um, uh, when that movie came out, they had a book of just the art. Mm-hmm. And it's it's all, like, hand-done paintings. So I, I, I really like looking at that kind of stuff, too. Mm-hmm. Old Star Wars art. Um, yeah, there's a lot of really cool stuff out there. Yeah, just uh, keep your mind open. Don't get kind of pigeonholed into one thing and experiment. 
And when, I, when we were in school, we were taught acrylic painting and traditional painting techniques. And I used to do that watercolor when I was younger. And I, would st- I still, to this day, I use the same techniques when I'm painting, um, just in Photoshop. Like I'll, I'll take a brush and I'll set my opacity and I'll layer the, the color and I'll layer the paint, mm-hmm. as just like if I was using a paintbrush. So, yeah, don't rely on Photoshop and, and technical things. Um, just use it as a different medium, I, I would say. And I'll still try to grab you know, a piece of cardboard or something and just slap some paint down. Just uh, um, really, it really forces you because there's no undo button when you're doing um, with acrylic paint or watercolor. So it kind of gets you to really force yourself to acknowledge the light source and color theory and that kind of stuff. But, yeah. So I don't know. But I love it. I mean, I get to work on some the best guys in the industry, and they like what I'm doing, and they actually pay me for it. So it's uh, best part. It's a win-win. It's a win-win. <laughs> yeah. Well, Brad Anderson, thank you very much for joining us today. We no, really, thank you. really appreciate, appreciate the interview. No, thank you. All right, excellent. I'll see you at the comic shop. Lovely. Can't wait to see you there again. Yeah, and I'll, I'll pick up Doomsday Clock, and I can't wait to pick up Swamp Thing. So. All right, excellent. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, you have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Over the course of his acclaimed career, Josh Ritter has released nine full-length albums, including The Beast and Its Tracks, So Runs the World Away, and The Animal Years. His new album, The Gathering, was recorded in New Orleans, and it's Josh's most freewheeling and rollicking record to date dark and soulful. It's a pleasant mix of gospel-tinged, funked-up country blues boogie. Don't miss him at the Park Theatre for one night only, Wednesday, February 28th. Tickets are on sale now for $32.50 plus fees, available at Ticketmaster, the Park Theatre, and the Winnipeg Folk Festival office. Here all year, don't miss festival favorite Josh Ritter and the Royal City Band at the Park Theatre on February 28th. Brought to you by the Winnipeg Folk Festival, the Park Theatre, and proudly supported by 101.5 UMFM. This is Casey from Elliot Brood. You're listening to CJUM 101.5 FM in Winnipeg, home of the mighty, mighty weaker thens. Hello and welcome back. That was the wonderful interview that Braden gave with Brad Hand. Thank um, you, thank of course, you, thank you. We are uh, beyond the panel here on UMFM 101.5. We are the uh, most wonderful comic book show that you're ever going to listen to ever i'm brian that's brayden yes as always um so we have a little bit of time to talk about uh something else very briefly i wish we could talk about it more we'll probably end up talking about it more next week because of how little we got to talk about it this week but i still want to talk about it um we got a chance to read and converse with a very talented team um a canadian indie artists mm-hmm. or indie uh an indie comic team uh davis dewsbury uh, Andrew Thomas and Alfonso Pinedo, who graciously let us uh, read Auric of the Great White North, a Canadian indie comic about a man who uh, is blessed with the ability of turning into a lion to help defend Canada. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful. It's a fantastic series. Um, the art starts off kind of so-so, but it gets very good yeah. by the end. Um, by the time it hits issue three, it's insanely good the coloring is good uh the story for the most part is pretty good mm-hmm. um some of the dialogue i think could be cleaned up a little bit but like for the most part i think the story and the idea is really good i love 
how many nuanced Canadian things there are in there. Like, if an American was reading it, they just wouldn't pick up on it. Oh, no. But, like, as a Canadian reading through and seeing, like, someone giving, like, a, a press conference and seeing, like, the CBC logo on a microphone or, like, all of the under other Canadian indie comic little jabs in there, it's really good. Yeah. Um, I'm really... I would love to see them write, like, a team-based comic around Orca of the North because, like, they do have, like, some other stuff in there... Um, but like, I would like to see they they mentioned other superheroes and just didn't like mm. touch well, on them. Right? I can I can see that in the future because there are several references to other Canadian heroes. One being in like the kind of ticker tape at the bottom of like the CBC interview. Right. I can't remember which issue it was, but it was all about the guy's press conference. And at the one at the bottom of one of them, it was a direct shout out to Aurora Man by Jeff Burton from right. Sat, from Humboldt. Amazing. Oh, that was I just love it. And all of these comics come from this collaborative effort called the canadian comic book alliance where it's just you, you folks have to check these people out they're people from all across canada who have a deep passion for comics all of them creating like fantastic series and all of the characters exist more or less in the same world and it's just it's just a really great read and i'm already pretty biased because i'm pretty patriotic in my canadian comic book writing or my canadian comic book reading i mean like i'm not gonna say that i don't read canadian uh like canadian independent stuff because like i love i love brian lee o'malley the guy's incredible so yeah. like i'm down I'm, I'm on board with you about this like it's yeah. awesome to see great canadian artists oh no doubt and like you were saying about the art like like um the issue zero i wouldn't say the art was bad like the art wasn't the art wasn't terrible by any means it was simplistic um yeah which well, isn't bad. It, which isn't it was bad. Minimalistic. Yeah, but uh, when you compare it with, but th- that that same style is kind of refined as the issues go on. Specifically, I think oh, the coloring gets a lot better too. Like they do a, a lot better job of like shading and stuff like that, not mm-hmm. just being like solid block colors all over the place. Like there ends up being some really nice shading and coloring. Speaking of coloring, by the uh, by the end of it, so yeah, no, it's, it's just a fantastic series. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoy the the backstory of it I, I like the aspect where he's not a brand new hero in his world he's not a superhero who has just made in his instantly i'm gonna fight the good fight in the world of arica of the great white north he has been around for over a hundred years now and he's been fighting it right and it's it's a really interesting aspect where people are just like you've been around for a hundred years and the threats you said you were fighting are still around like why do we need you I, re- I really like that aspect where it's just it's this world that has a history it is very watchman-esque is it not Mm. Like that, that idea is very Watchmen esque. Like, what is the purpose of heroes if they end up causing more good or more harm than good, or like if they're not actually doing what they say they need? They're doing right. Yeah. So, like, I totally get that and understand that. Um, one of the funniest things at the very start of issue one, where he's being hauled off by the pig people. Yeah. And he's got like a Bluetooth in his ear. Like, how the heck would you fit a Bluetooth on Alliance? Like, he mentions very quickly. That the transformation changes his body and allows him to escape being tied up. So, like, how how in the world would that stick on his ear? It's just uh, funny. I just thought it was kind of cool. <laughs> it's, it's just it's a very well written. Se- it, it's a it's a well written series. The art is really good, and it's just it's it's just joyful storytelling. Like yeah. it's not it's not dark or muddled or gritty. Like I appreciate those things, but this one is just like we're going to make the best comic book we can and we're we're embracing all of the tropes and like lightness of Canadian culture. Exactly. Um it's published by Great North Comics um which you can actually uh they're out of Ontario I think, right? And I want to say Timmins, Ontario. Timmins is where the book is set. I'm not sure if that's where the company is based out of. We're going to find out. 
We're, we're, real, we're tracking you down, great, great North Comics. We're, we're tra- tracking down real quickly. Their website is not the best for this, um, but they're from Great uh, Great North Comics. Uh, you can check them out at greatnorthcomics.com. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to find uh, in order to find all their stuff, um, of course, all the Auric of the Great White North stuff, um, which is great. I, they're the only ones on here, so I'm going to assume that they're from Timmins. Okay, that's fair then. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna assume. So that's that's that. Uh, oh no, they have Jump City as well. Um, yeah, it's. <laughs> It doesn't say. We're going to say Timmins, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty cool. Like, uh, it's you know not a really big city or anything like that, right? So, yeah. no, like you, you see that with a lot of the indie books coming out. Like this one from possibly Timmins, uh, Aurora Man out of Humboldt, Saskatchewan. Uh, the September seventeenth comics by Andrew Lawrence. I love them. He's yep. a, he's a great guy to chat with. He's actually based out of Selkirk, so it's just no you, way. you're seeing like the rise of small town Canada. In indie comic publishing, it's it's great just to see talents coming from what places I wouldn't say the, the least places, but places people wouldn't necessarily expect these things to come from. There is a growing uh, be, there's a growing emphasis on creator driven content in Canada mm-hmm. and in comics in general, um, mostly because of how poorly Marvel's been treating everybody, <laughs> mostly. Yeah. Um, and how great Image and IDW have been to their creators. Mm-hmm. So it's really cool to see Canadians getting in on this, seeing that it, like nowadays with the way the social media works and with the way the Kickstarter works, because Auric was Kickstarted. Yep. So it's really great to see with all the crowd crowdfunding and, and all the avenues in social media that like Canadian kids can live their dream of being a comic creator, and it's not like an issue anymore, right? Like yeah. you don't have to get. It's great for for like you know for people like Brad to go to school for it and get noticed and do that, but you, like you don't have to get noticed to follow your dreams and do stuff like that anymore, and that's awesome. Yep, I'm on board with that. It's it's lovely, and it's honestly the closest thing we have to a uh, a large corporation as far as comics is Chapter House Publishing. Yeah, they have great stuff coming out of them, like the Captain Canuck books. Everything I love in- Captain Canuck. Oh, so good. It's a good costume. It is. That's it's- another thing I wanted to say. Oryx costume is cool. It is. And I, I like the, how they kind of like advance it as the series goes on. Where yeah. It's like they're constantly adding on little bits and going, okay, it has this feature now. Where it's like, okay, that's actually really useful. And you're explaining it. And, and, and he's got like superpowers, but that tech guy keeps turning him like into Batman. Yeah. With like all the gadgets and stuff, which is cool. But it's And it's like, I like they explain it in a way that it's, it's not techno babble. Where it stays, or it's kind of a hand wave where they kind of explain, oh yeah, this is how it works, and this is what happens, which makes your suit camouflage. Yeah, and especially like the camera on the belt, and I was like, okay, that's a neat way. It's of a cool, it. yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I'm I'm a super big fan of that. So, uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm hoping they put out some more stuff in the future because I'm I like I like their stuff. It's it good. I you, you uh, again, you great, listeners, great I North Comics dot com. Mm-hmm. You can check it out. You can pick up every single issue for three bucks a piece. Yeah, which is actually a pretty solid Three price. Three Canadian a piece, which is a really solid price. Oh, yeah. Um, it didn't say anything about shipping, but you never know, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm sure that shipping a comic book isn't, like, that difficult. No. Um, when I bought a, some Aurora Man comics from Jeff Burton, shipping was... Negligible. Ne- yeah, nil. Cool. So, um, we're going to get into the wrap-up. Yeah. So, this week's Bleeding Cool uh, top ten releases of last week... Batman 36, Batman White Knight 3, 
Justice League 34, Walking Dead 174, Superman 36, Captain America 696, Avengers 674, Doctor Strange 382, uh, Darth Vader number 9, and uh, Amazing Spider-Man Venom Incorporated number 1. It's interesting to see Marvel put out some stuff that gets back on the top 10 list. Yeah, they were knocked out of there for they a did, while. Uh, they did a lot better, but I mean, like, you also have to expect the fact that Captain America is a big property. It's being written by Mark Wade And so, Chris Samney on art. So that's going to be there. And Doctor Strange is huge right now and also being written by Donny Cates which again is going to it's going to force its way on there uh, Star Wars especially with the new movie coming up is always going to be up there and for whatever people for whatever reason people just love Venom so any Venom comic is always going to be on there that being said I am glad to see them getting back on the list yeah. um, I have to say that Batman 36 was a spectacular book like it's the start of a brand new storyline. Of course, it's Tom King writing it, and I love Tom King. I love yeah. everything Tom King does. But it's like the current the current arc now is called Super Friends, and it's basically his exploration. The challenge of the Super Friends. Yes. And it's his exploration of like the relationship between Batman and Superman. It's, it's great, because it, there's a section of it where both of them are explaining how they view the other. Wasn't there a Batman-Superman comic that was released uh, around the time period when Luther was uh, president of the United States? Yeah, that, that was an ongoing title, like uh, Superman-Batman. It was Batman. a New 51 thing, was a New, 50, a New 52 thing, wasn't it? That was, it, was, it, was an, it was a book in New 52, but it was also a book years ago, like at the turn of the millennium. Okay. Like back when Luther was president. Okay. And that was, yeah, that was written by Jeff Loeb. And who was the artist? Michael Turner, I believe. Michael Turner did a Sounds right. Yeah. But that was a good book. And Super Friends is turning into a great book as well. Yeah. Or the Super Super Friends story arc in Batman. Uh, I'm going to probably check that out. Nice. Uh, Coming up this week, uh, as in releasing tomorrow, we've got Action Comics 993, getting close to 1,000. I recommend picking up this Action Comics because it's got my boy Booster Gold in it. Oh, your your man crush on Booster Gold. He is incredibly attractive. You shut your mouth. (laughs) Uh, Detective Comics number 970, so that's coming up on 1,000 as well. Uh, Mr. Miracle number 5, got to give that one a shout out from my boy Curtis. Uh, DuckTales number four. I love DuckTales. It's so good. No, don't laugh I'm at me. I'm not laughing at you. You, I, I, you laughed at me. I'm not. It was a, it was a snicker of agreement. DuckTales is amazing. <laughs> how dare you? How dare you? First of all, how dare you? Second of all, how dare you? Well, yeah, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to get up and go. Uh, speaking of indie comics, there's a, an interesting one coming out from um, Dan Panosian called Slots. It's the third issue of Slots. I've read the first two. It's both really good. It's based around, like, a casino. Oh, yeah? Uh, and the, the, the thing on here, the blurb says, What's more dangerous than a psychic at a poker table? An angry casino realizing the house doesn't win. So far, it's been very good. It's about, basically, like, a psychic who just takes, like, Rob's casinos blind because he knows exactly what's going to happen. So mm-hmm. it's, it's been very good so far. Uh, it's gritty, and I really recommend getting checking it out if you can. Nice. Um... Amazing Spider-Man 792. We're getting close to when it gets handed off to uh, my boy Nick Spencer, which I know you're not excited about, but I am. That's being handed off at issue number 800, so, like, next year. It's going to be good. No. It's going to be good. No. Yes, it is. Stop it. I wish Curtis was here. That'd be two-on-one, because he agrees with me. Uh, Also for Curtis, Runaways number four. 
Um, he's a huge fan of that, so maybe check that out. And mm-hmm. this one's for me, Slam, the next jam, number four, of course, based around Roller Derby. There you go. Uh, I really enjoyed the original Slam, and so far, Slam, the next jam has been really good. Uh, Curtis, my <laughs> my dude not here, so he can't give us what he's li- reading this week. Braden, my other dude, what are you reading this week? You 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 got to bet I'm reading Superman 993. Yep. It's coming off the hot storyline of... Uh, Oz effect, where okay. we where it's finally revealed who Mr. Oz is. And You're Mr. Oz. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm a little flattered now. I can't. I can, I've lost track of time. But uh, no, it's 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 Superman basically trying to go back in time to visit Krypton before the explosion. And Booster Gold is like, no, this is actually horrible. We can't let you do this. So for the first time. Booster Gold is the responsible one, and Superman is the one who needs to be stopped. Well, I mean, he's been a responsible one since the Jurgens run when he was... Ba- he ba- got... Ba- ah, words. Rip Hunter basically turned him into a time cop, right? Mm-hmm. So he's been responsible ever since then. That's true. Yeah. And it's actually Dan Jurgens writing it, so he has, it's a return to form. He's been pretty much the only Booster Gold writer since since Jeff Johns stopped writing it. Yeah, he made Booster Gold. Yeah, so yeah. um, it's been good. I'm excited. Um... I'm going to be reading Slam. I'm not going to have a lot of time to read because I have an exam next week. So I'm going to be reading Slam the next jam, and that's pretty much it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to probably read that Booster Gold one. So, um, yeah. So if you want to catch up with us, you can, of course, hit us up on the email at beyondthepanelumfm at gmail.com or on Twitter at btpcomicumfm. This has been, uh, for Braden Hafichuk, this has been Brian Svensson on Beyond the Panel UMFM 101.5. Thank you. So much for joining us, and we'll catch you next week.